Welcome to We Go There. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... But hey, we go there. Because there's no such thing as having too much information when it comes to your health and wellness. We dive deep into topics, interview experts, and get answers you need. Because knowledge is power. And feeling empowered is what we're all about. So let's go there. Okay, deep breath here. We have a pretty sensitive conversation that's about to happen. So this is a trigger warning. We're going to be talking about birth trauma with Tila Tomasetti. She's a registered provisional psychologist who specializes in birth trauma, and she's actually pursuing her doctorate with a specialty in this area. She decided to do this due to her best friend's experience, and then little did she know she would also herself personally experience a traumatic birth by way of midwifery violence and an excessive hemorrhage that would almost take her life. So she's here with us today to discuss. This is also going to be a personal one for my beautiful co-host, Lexi, who experienced a traumatic birth just three months ago now. Maybe it's been almost three months. So there's going to be like I said, a bit of a heavy conversation here. So our hope is that it will help anyone who's currently working to process and heal. So welcome. Sorry, that was a long intro, but welcome, Tila. Thank you so much for having me on to talk about this. Yeah, we're um, really, I mean, excited for me is the wrong word, but um, grateful that you're here. Nikki actually, right after I had the twins, sent me a a birth trauma, someone who specializes in birth trauma to speak with. And Nikki, I didn't tell you, but I still have not spoken with them because I was too nervous to, mm-hmm. and, or not ready or a combination of all of the things. So I think that this is, will be a really welcome conversation for me um, because uh, it's probably something I still need to do. So we're looking forward to, to diving more into it and are really grateful in advance of you sharing um, some of your story. Thank you. Lexi, I hope it's okay to just normalize where you're at on that journey as well. And that so many people, uh, most survivors take quite a while to take that first step. And so just be gentle with yourself. I just wanted to start off by saying that. So that I appreciate that really. So do you think that maybe the best place to start would be to tell us a little bit more on how you came to specialize in birth trauma specifically, and then how that links to your own personal story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I was flirting with the idea of doing my doctorate in birth trauma after talking to my best friend about her experience. And I was really struck by the fact that I think at around that time, it had been over a decade of being a therapist who specialized in trauma. So anywhere from like domestic violence and sexual assault to tragic losses. And I remember sitting there across from her and this was her firstborn and she just broke down in front of me and couldn't stop crying and described her birth experience. And I just sat there shocked and not really knowing what the right thing was to say, which I just also want to normalize for people. And so I just listened and she continued to tell parts of her story. And at the end of it, um, she said, you know, actually I've, I've come to realize a lot of people go through this experience And I was like, why isn't anyone talking about that? And she's like, no one feels like they can. And so I started to look into the research around this and get to know what birth trauma was because I had never heard about it until she brought it to my attention. I guess this is five years ago now. And when I started to look into the research and found that like one in three women and up to 45% described their births as traumatic. I was shocked by this number because I said, those are, that's incredible. That's an enormous amount of people. And yet, why is nobody talking about this? So I remember going back to her just a few months later and I said, I'm going to ded- dedicate my doctorate to you. And she was like, what? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I said, I agree. Why is no one talking about this? And I want to do this for you. I want to, I want to open up this dialogue and give people an opportunity to speak about their own experiences and see if we can change any aspects to it. So I had said that to her and I was in the midst of doing my master's at the time. And so it was always in the back of my mind that I think I'm going to go that route when I do my doctorate. And then I started my doctorate and I was leaning even closer to that, doing more and more research. 
And then as you shared, then I ended up with my own experience. And it's quite a lengthy story. I won't get too far into it today. And I actually can't, I'm not allowed to speak to parts of it, unfortunately. But um, it was after going through my own experience that I solidified starting that Instagram account, as well as going like, okay, I am for sure doing my doctorate in this area and knowing what part of birth trauma I really wanted to zero in on. And you can't talk about it. Can you explain a little bit more about why you cannot talk about it? Yeah. And that's even like tricky in itself. Um, so I, what I can say is that I, I due to the midwifery violence that I incurred, I reported that midwife and that's all I'm allowed to say at this point. And so there's a lot of irony within that in terms of I run an account that encourages people to break the silence and use their voice and share their stories. And I still haven't after overrunning it for a year, been able to share my own. And it's full, like true, like because truth. Yeah. It's under investigation right now, right? Okay. How mm-hmm. old is your your little one? Uh, Livy is uh, about to turn a year and a half in just a couple of days. So, awesome. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for doing the dance because it must feel like you're doing a bit of a dance to to really help and support people without being able to completely disclose what happened to you. So, thank yeah. you for that. Um, why is this, you mentioned that your, your friend said that, you know, a lot of people go through this, but they feel like they can't talk about it. You also mentioned this is sort of a silent trauma. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Oh, it is absolutely a silence trauma. And I think that comes from the expectations that are placed on women in general around pregnancy, around birth, and just the pressure that comes with that, that things have to be perfect. And if they're not perfect and you speak to that, well, then you must be ungrateful for your experience and not really love your baby. And so it comes with all this really unnecessary, uneducated judgment around what birth trauma is. And so I think people know that immediately into their experiences. They go, oh, maybe I shouldn't say this. Maybe I shouldn't talk about this. I should just express gratitude that we both made it out alive and that, you know, everyone is okay. The baby's healthy. And so I think toxic positivity is a, a big reason that keeps people silent around this as well is the, those statements of at least this, at least that, at least this um, really silence people and make them feel guilty and ashamed for their experiences. And it's not an experience they picked. I really want to stress this. Nobody walks into their birth experience um, wanting to feel this way and to live this life. And so they're just kind of left wondering how to navigate it afterwards, not feeling like they can speak to it. Does that resonate for you, Lexi? It's so, you say it so much more eloquently than I've been trying to just even in Nikki, when we went through my birth story, trying to describe it because I had, I, I had such anxiety after we recorded just me sharing my story that I didn't expect. I it was up in the middle of the night. I, I sent voice notes to Nikki being like, I don't know if I did. I'm like, I don't even know if I did a good job of this, like it, mm-hmm. as if you're supposed to do a good job, but it comes from that um, feeling of, I should, I should just be grateful because my babies are both here and healthy and, and okay. That was all in the past. I'm fine. quote mm-hmm. unquote. Right. So it's that comparison syndrome that we like look at each other and then other people's stories and trying to compare worse situations to yours and then less in yours. Um, or yeah, it yeah, I, it resonates so much. I so much. Yeah. It's this constant, like what I always refer to as like dichotomy after birth trauma. So it's this feeling of like, you love your baby with everything in you and you hate your birth experience and you feel all this sadness and deep grief and loss over what took place. You you feel joy when you're with them. And it's so confusing for the survivor. And it's even more confusing for people who haven't experienced it to understand it. 
And so we live in that kind of society that's all or nothing, black or white thinking. And so birth trauma is super confusing to people. They're like, no, 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 no. If you don't like your birth, birth experience, then you must hate your baby. And it's like, no, I can hold both of those things together. I don't have to pick. And that's what I'm constantly explaining on my page, as well as the survivors that I see in my therapy room, is that you don't have to decide one or the other. You can make space for all of that to exist. Yeah, to me, they're almost disconnected, which is also a bit odd, I guess. This episode of the We Go There podcast is brought to you by The Bell Method, a fitness company that blends Pilates with pelvic health, creating choreography from science. You might feel overwhelmed at all the abs after baby programs promising to make you bounce back after birth, or maybe you're feeling unsure of how to exercise in pregnancy and prepare your body for delivery. It can be tough to navigate what information is credible and evidence-based. Women deserve better. I created all of our programs with the guidance of pelvic health physiotherapists, and we continue to evolve our programming to stay current with the latest research. At The Bell Method, we ditch guilt and bring balance to our bodies with programs designed to fit your life stage. We'll help you reduce incontinence, diastasis recti, and prolapse so you feel strong, confident, and empowered throughout pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond. I invite you to enjoy 10% off your first class session with the code WEGOTHERE10. Visit www.thebellmethod.com for more. When you say one in three, I think you said women um, experience a form of trauma. So can you talk about what what would def- define, I guess, b- probably the wrong use of words, but birth trauma and what one might experience to be considered having a traumatic laboring experience? Yeah. So birth trauma is what we call like subjective. And so that doesn't mean it's a choice. I really want to stress that. I think lately there's been a lot of discussion within the community being like, oh, like, so do I, did I pick that then if I'm defining my experience as traumatic? And it's like, no, what that means is that what might be traumatic for me may not be for you and vice versa. And so that's why you'll often hear statements like in the eye of the beholder. And what that means is that the person gets to decide if something was traumatic or not to them, but also so does their body. We don't have a say sometimes as to what felt traumatic. It really just ends up existing within our system. And then we kind of end up fighting with that and it ends up presenting in these traumatic symptoms. But I think that when we started to say that in the birth trauma community around like in the eye of the beholder and define your own experience and subjective, it was really to empower people to be able to say like, hey, your experience matters. It doesn't have to fit a specific criteria in order for you to say that your birth was traumatic. I think that's an important one to differentiate, you know, in, in that, you know, it, it's interesting because I'm full disclosure coming from a place of, you know, I've definitely been through some shit in my life, but I, it hasn't been in the context of birth trauma. And so I haven't, and prior to this podcast, Lexi, you also have said the mm-hmm. same thing prior to your more, or not this podcast, prior to your most recent birth, you also, you know, we'd had conversations around this before and you were coming from a place where you're like, this is a real thing that I haven't experienced, you know, so we've had some interesting conversations as well, you know, how your perceptive perception has maybe shifted a little bit now that you've kind of experienced the quote unquote, you know, ideal. And I hate to say that word, but that's kind of how we look at it. Society looks at it like, you know, intervention free, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. easy deliveries. And now the opposite where like someone had to resuscitate your baby and save both of your lives. So it's it's an interesting thing because i'm i guess what i want to ask this is a very clumsy way of putting it but i'm curious to know what are some of the most damaging things that people can say and unfortunately do say to survivors of birth trauma and then on the flip side a second part to that question would be what are some of the most helpful things people can do or mm-hmm. and or say mm-hmm. as support mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I guarantee so many of your listeners um, are wondering the exact same thing or have been in situations like this where they're like, whoops, I <laughs> like maybe misspoke and that wasn't something that was really helpful. And so I think the biggest thing that I really want to cancel, I do, and I hate to use that language, but I'm going to go there. I want to cancel the phrase at least. I think that needs to 
be kicked out um, of the dictionary because it's so dismissive. So before you go to speak to somebody about their experience, first thing first, I would say just listen. So don't feel like you have to have an opinion or something incredible to say. But I think just holding space for the conversation to exist is key. But then if you are going to say something, please don't start by saying the words at least. Um, it dismisses, it minimizes, and it's just, and it's very frustrating for the person listening. And there's there's a whole slew of different statements, but that's got to be the one that I hear the most is like, at least the baby is healthy, or you guys are both fine now. Like, what's what's the problem? You both made it out alive. Um, you know, there's, yeah, I could pull up, I should pull up my Instagram right now and start giving you a, a list. I would say go there, go to my Instagram, and because that's all I talk about is a toxic positivity. I feel like it's once a week. My followers really want to speak to that and vent about it. Um, so that's my best piece of advice without getting carried away is just don't say at least. But when it comes to just what can we do to support them, it really is about the listening aspect. It's not injecting your own opinions around it. It's not injecting your own birth story even into it. So don't get into that comparison game because um, I also hear that that's quite dismissive when people will say to the person, oh yeah, like I had a really difficult birth too because of this. And it's like, but again, like if we just hold space for them and just let them exist there, they'll move through the things that they're going through a lot quicker as well. And don't try and problem solve for them. And instead just ask them like, what can, like, what can I do to support you? Like what feels the best to you? And some of them may not know the answer to that. And that's okay too. Um, so, but I think it's just the key is listening. Yeah. It's so interesting because I'm sure Nikki, you're drawing a lot of parallels to like um, fertility, yeah. right? And oh, yeah. toxic positivity as it links oh, to fertility. God. I just did a reel about this yesterday. About the I least, saw. <laughs> you weren't that far along. Right, right. right. This yeah, marriage, right? Still, yeah, it's the same. It's the same. I mean, it's not the same, but there are so many mm. similarities of like, or the the like trying to give advice, like, oh, you just need to get up and go for a walk. Right. Like, or get out of the house more and change, mm. you know, or you just need to go on vacation and relax and eat a cheeseburger yeah. and then or, or go to sleep, just go to sleep. Right. Okay. I had a, I had like some disagreements recently on my Instagram about this because that's a common phrase too, to tell me moms, just sleep it off. Like, just go to sleep. You need sleep. Need sleep. Okay. That's a little hard to do when you've been through a traumatic experience, your system is completely dysregulated and heightened and you got flashbacks and nightmares. It's like, how about we give tools? to people so that they understand how to get to a place of sleeping. So yeah, like there's so many statements out there that are just so harmful. I felt like I drank like gallons of coffee. <laughs> Literally, I couldn't, my eyeballs were like bulging out of my head. I I felt like I couldn't come down. Like it was like, duh, 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 you're just vibrating, mm -hmm. which I had no idea. I was linked to trauma. Um, but yeah, I had no mm -hmm. idea. Cause it literally, I could not, Adam would have to lie with me and hold my hand. And like, I meditate, I'm like a Zen person and he'd have to like, literally like pet me like my head because I could not like chill out. It's yeah. so that's very interesting that you say that. Yeah. Yeah. No, your system had no idea how to, you know, it was in that fight, flight, freeze mode. You were in that state of survival. And for a lot of survivors, it takes a long time to step outside of that. And so that, like that, like the, your viewers can't see the feeling that remains with your hands, but it's that vibration piece is literally your nervous system going, I have no idea what to do with what just happened. Mm. Yeah. We got to talk about tools because as a mm -hmm. side note, I've noticed that with women that I work with postpartum, that it has a huge impact. Having experienced birth trauma can really mess with their postpartum rehab in the sense that they've lost faith in their body. And now in many ways, they're afraid to exercise, they're afraid to move, they're afraid they're going to hurt themselves or do more damage. And there is this fear, right, that they kind of can't get out of their nervous system, as you mentioned, is is dysregulated. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, you know, I know what I know, and I can definitely notice this difference that, you know, a lot of the role as a coach is to you know, validate, but then also try to reduce the fear 
of mm-hmm. movement and, and to help people regain confidence in their body. But I would love your thoughts and, and some tools that you have to that end. Yeah, I really appreciate this conversation because I think one of the things that took me by surprise when I started working with survivors so actively in my space was how many would say that they hated their bodies, like that they hated, that they betrayed them, that they failed them. And going back to toxic positivity statements for a second, that idea of your body was made for this. And your body will know exactly what to do. Those statements are so harmful to survivors because they deeply internalize them the moment something like this takes place. Mm -hmm. And so I'm often hearing about that in my space. Like I hate my body and society has taught them to as well around that. And so I think it really becomes about um, challenging those messages that we get in general about our body, about what it should be capable to do. And I think it starts there um, is challenging the messages that we get. And then on top of that, learning how to love yourself again. And so one of the forms of therapy that I use in my space, and I, I hope every trauma therapist in general is using it, is something called compassion focused therapy. And it's always at the root of what I'm doing, which is one of the biggest things I have to teach people is how to love themselves again after trauma because they feel like they have failed um, from the moment it happened. They feel like they're walking into the sense of failure and that they can't climb out of it. And so it starts with compassion-focused therapy, but then things like eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. So EMDR is like what's considered the gold trauma therapy standard in the world. I'm an EMDR practitioner as well, and it is super effective in terms of what it does. And so it helps them to process the memory very quickly and kind of untangle everything that's happening in that nervous system. Because, you know, Nikki, when you just brought up that aspect around the body, which is what started this conversation, body sits and hangs out, like, or like trauma sits, I should say, and hangs out Mm -hmm. in the body. And it will not leave you (laughs) until you address that in some fashion. Mm -hmm. And so EMDR, somatic experiencing therapy is another accelerated resolution therapy. Um, then you've got things like pelvic floor physio, you've got yoga, you've got acupuncture, you've got massage. So anything that I think with a trauma-informed clinician that knows the body, understands how trauma gets stuck in there, and then knows how to release it in different ways. Uh, But that trauma-informed care is key. Because if you've got a practitioner in front of you that doesn't, isn't fully aware of working with somebody who's been through trauma, then it could further exacerbate those symptoms and set back their healing. Oh, hundred percent. And just the, you know, we know that there is proprioception, which is the understanding of where your body is in space. And then there's enteroception where you're sort of like trying to figure out like what you're feeling, what your sensations are on the inside. And it is a tricky one because as a teacher, we're often like, so where are you feeling this muscle burn? Like, what are you feeling in your body? Like, do you feel it in your deep core, right? Like I'm a Pilates instructor, so just bear with me. For a second. <laughs> so, and, and a lot of times people are like, I don't think I'm feeling it in the right place. And I can tell like they're struggling in a class where they're sort of like, I don't, you know, am I doing this right? Or I'm worried about doing it wrong. Or they just, they feel so defeated because it's that feeling like almost like they, again, they can't trust the sensations in their body anymore. So it's certainly connected. And I don't think people are talking enough about how these things are connected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that we all kind of have a role to play in it as providers. And that, yeah, it's not just trauma therapists that are supporting people, but people like yourself that can really do wonders for somebody's healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just how you're speaking to that, I felt emotional about it because it's, and for me, it's like, I am a control person in general, and I also feel very connected with my body normally well, prior to this, I'd say. And prior to this, as Nikki mentioned, I had two beautiful laboring experiences, which I kind of, I I owned as being that because of my connection with my body. So I can very much appreciate that feeling. I also wanted to ask you about um, if you come across uh people who have experienced trauma and I'll bring the partner. Actually, I know we want to talk a bit about partner trauma as well. Um, but, and the partner, 
and the link to heightened anxiety over the baby post uh, birth experience and, and a traumatic laboring experience. Cause mm-hmm. I, I personally, and, and I mentioned this to Adam and he also, uh, we find ourselves feeling more anxiety around our babies than we ever would have previously with our, our two newborns, even our first. And we had no idea what we were doing. We came home we're like, all right, let's YouTube how to swaddle a baby. Like you just didn't know what you're doing. Right. So, um, that is definitely present in our lives for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, no joke. Right before this began, I was in session with client and she is a Nikki mom. And I was supporting her in normalizing intrusive thoughts. And whenever I normalize, I'm really quick to explain to people that I do this not to dismiss because normalization can actually feel like that too. Like, oh, all moms have intrusive thoughts. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, we can't do that. We can't say that because we could end up dismissing somebody who has severe intrusive thoughts that really need us to pay attention to. But like the stats around this is something like 73% of moms will have intrusive thoughts. And that number increases depending on the circumstances of the birth. And so when you've been through a traumatic birth to have intrusive thoughts, especially when you get home, they won't necessarily like exist in the space initially. It's when you get home and you get into that space again and your system starts to slow down and recognize that it's actually safe, that oddly enough, these intrusive thoughts will pop up. And so I just want you to know, Lexi, that that experience is so common and that increased anxiety around what if is directly connected to your traumatic experience and that a lot of the ways that we deal with it is by, I don't want to say inviting them in, but giving them space. And so don't try and stuff them away or push them away, but instead understand that where they come from is a really meaningful place and that it's just offering them reassurance that you're safe now. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, when anxiety kicks in, it's, it's really there because it's saying that something matters to you. And so obviously your, your baby matters to you very much. So, Um, but yeah, it's, it's very, it's very common. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about birth partners? Oh, birth partners. You know, I just, this is a part of birth trauma that I definitely want to research more in the future when my doctorate's done, because it makes me so sad. It makes me so sad because this conversation around birth trauma, they're just finally starting to be had, but the conversation's that is not being had is around the partner and the deep impact that exists with them because partners are pushed out of this experience from the moment it happens. So even if birth trauma doesn't happen, the partners are often pushed into the back of the room or moved aside or not communicated with, not validated. And so it's like they don't even exist in the space. And then you compound that with birth trauma where something's taking place in the room that is seriously traumatic and the partner is wondering what the heck is going on and nobody is telling them. Or if they do, it's very dismissive, like get out of the way we're trying to deal with this. And so nobody talks to them about the trauma symptoms that they too will experience and that you know, to throw out another stat, sorry, research nerd here. <laughs> like, oh, we have another one. Meet <laughs> Um, 25%. So 20, and I'm going to use the language of fathers because that's what the research offers at this point, but 25% of fathers um, say that they have experienced birth trauma. And so their symptoms look similar, but the big difference is that it often comes out in anger and frustration and avoidance. And so it sometimes will be misunderstood as depression in a dad or just like a dad who's disinterested in their child. And it's like, no, that's a dad who's been shook and doesn't know what to do with these feelings and doesn't feel like he's allowed to take up space about it either. Mm-hmm. And so it's something that I wish we would talk more about. Like just to touch on this briefly, I'll share a story about my own husband. And so part of my story was an excessive hemorrhage and he watched me bleed out. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, right? I was lying there with Livy on my chest not realizing that this was taking place. I could feel like I was going in and out, but he watched it all. And he's the one who's left with those distinct images. And when we recently watched 
um, an episode on a TV show, um, the person started to go through the same thing. And I looked over at him and I watched him close his eyes. And this is a man who watches the show, The Boys, which is extremely <laughs> violent. Okay. So if you, I, we love that show. It's violent. It's gory. It's this and that. He loves that kind of stuff, but he closed his eyes. And it actually makes me really emotional to say that because I sat there like really understanding just like the gravity of the impact on him and that no one is going to talk to him about that. I get this space on Instagram where I get to talk about it, but like no one's doing that for him. It breaks oh, my heart. Yeah, it really does. Me too. <laughs> Adam, I for I forget a lot of what happened, right? Like I don't remember it. And he like was pushed out of the room, then comes back to like the chaos and me lying there, like counting the babies, like trying because we're twins, like trying to make sure are both okay. It's just like all of the things. So mm-hmm. it I yeah, I can, it breaks my heart to think about that. And he hasn't he doesn't link to that the anger or any of that. Uh, thankfully, like side of it but I I'm always worried about him because it's I have these outlets I'm learning all of these things and he'll definitely listen to this episode but um it's just you have different outlets and the partner just doesn't get the same treatment it's like they just kind of go back into life and also are there to support like he's so supportive of me Mm-hmm. um through this all and what I've been through because it was my body that went through it and all of those mm-hmm. things but you can't discount that the partner's mind is incredibly impacted as a result of it as well and um yeah he is he's very strong so and it seems your husband's the same yeah and it's got to be one of the biggest questions I get from survivors in my dms is like how do I talk to my partner about this and doing what I do for a living once I got home, I said to Ryan, that's my partner's name. I said, Ryan, like, are you okay if I just do a weekly check-in with you around what happened? And you don't have to talk to me about it if you don't want to. But I just wanted to create space for him each week to be like, how are you doing with this? And those conversations were really healing for both of us because I got to hear from his perspective too what it was like to watch that all unfold. Mm. And it doesn't add, it didn't add another layer of trauma to me, but instead it, it actually brought us closer in terms of being able to um, know that we weren't alone in a lot of the feelings that we were experiencing. Agree. I I think that this has brought our relationship to a whole other level of closeness going through something like that together. Um, mm-hmm. What I kind of a funny note, what I would do is I had these homeopathic like um, that my naturopath had given me um pills like just you know like the homeopath they just dissolve under your tongue and one is uh, supposed to support trauma and I would just, I'd just hand them to him before bed every night. I'd be like, just take these. <laughs> like, like, I feel, I feel okay. Lex, like I'm all right. I'm like, no, no, no. Just pop them in. Don't worry. You're going to be okay. This drama. <laughs> like, I don't know. I was like, maybe this will help. He's like, I'm good. Like take the pills. <laughs> I don't know. You sound like a supportive partner, Lexi. <laughs> Trust me. I just gave it to him. He took it. So, um, but yeah. And anyways, it's, uh, I'm, I'm glad we got to talk about that. And I'm sure a lot of um, people listening can relate to that and dealing with the trauma and partner relationships as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we got to talk about it too. Lexi here. Okay, so let's shift to another under-the-radar, not-so-hot topic for a minute. Body hair. Everyone's got it, but a lot of us want to live smoother. Am I right? Ten years ago, I started Wax On Laser and Wax Bar. Wax On isn't just any waxing and laser hair removal bar. We are the industry leader creating a safe space that inspires people to live confidently in their own skin. Over the years, we've developed trust. Trust that you know you're getting the best quality and comfortable experience every single time. Whatever you come to Wax On for, it's going to be awesome. We've created our own exclusive gold wax formula that's like no other. It's as pain-free and long-lasting as it gets, perfect for all your waxing needs. At Wax On, we've invested in top-of-the-line laser technology that's effective on virtually any hair and skin tone for effective results on every body. Seriously. And we carry a carefully curated collection of products. Some we make ourselves, locally I might add, and some are from brands we've fallen in love with that adhere to our values and standards of clean, good-for-you, and female-founded. 
If you haven't experienced Wax On, I invite you to enjoy 20% off your first service with code WEGOTHERE. Visit waxon.ca or download the mobile app to book in with code WEGOTHERE because there is such a thing as a better hair removal experience to help you live smoother. Where do you want to go next, Nikki? I want to talk about like, okay, so I, there is a, there is a, I'm going to say, I'm just going to call it out. I think it could be perceived as an insensitive question, but I'm just going to ask it because it's a <laughs> podcast and that's what we do. And it's, it's one of those things that is, it is an honest question. And I think I already know a bit of the answer and maybe the answer is maybe and only in some circumstances, but basically the question is, do you think that birth trauma can be prevented to any extent? Okay. I get why you were worried it was going to be insensitive and and hold on, hold on. And uh, it's my, one of my favorite questions because I'm actually really passionate about this. Okay. So, and it's what my doctoral project will focus on actually. Oh, amazing. Okay. So I'm not an asshole. Great. No, no, you're not an asshole. (laughs) Um, Okay. So there was, there's a research article by Reed Sharman in Inglis and it's 20, 2017. And they, when I read this article a couple of years ago, I was like, this is what I want my project to be about. So what they found was that 66% of birth trauma survivors state that at the very root of their birth trauma is how they were treated or mistreated by a provider. And that blew my mind. I went, are you kidding me? So there's 66% of birth trauma that we can prevent well, I want to talk about that then, right? So that is literally what my project is going to be focusing on is that how do we dismantle the system, okay, that we've created around these ideals around childbirth and and doctors and hospitals and birthing centers and completely dismantle that and rebuild it to exist in a place that really supports the person giving birth. And so how can we prevent it is what, with what I call the bare minimum, which is uh, proper care, compassion, warmth, empathy, understanding, going over consent, mm-hmm. getting proper consent from people. These are all things that the majority, I will say, of my birth trauma followers talk about is like that that's what they were left with, with their birth trauma was how they were made to feel in specific situations mm-hmm. and not necessarily the event itself. And then there are so many events that take place within birth trauma, which I think you were worried about Nikki speaking to mm-hmm. where there was no way to prevent it. Of course. Also, right? Yeah. So I really hemorrhage, like mandel ring. Both yeah. of you went through yeah. things that could never have been prevented or predicted. Totally. Absolutely. And then there's this really big chunk that where we can, and that excites me. So to go back to Lexi, your word at the beginning, be like, I know exciting is a weird word to, but that's the way I feel about prevention is that I'm like, we can actually do something about this. And so that's one of my goals is to get into the hospitals, to work with nurses and doctors about and midwives about how do we properly train um, those individuals who are providing the care to be able to avoid pieces like this and to be able to right away recognize when somebody did go through a traumatic experience because they're demonstrating those symptoms and how to get them help right away. So I, I do feel like there is a good deal that could be prevented. So to summarize, a lot of it could also it comes down to how supported, how validated, how heard, how respected that person yeah. feels if they feel like a body on the table. And I hate to use that language, but it's a, it's a visual I think we can recognize versus an active participant in their care. Yes. It's going to have a very different impact on them psychologically, emotionally, mentally, all of those things. 100%. Yes. yes. So I don't know. I, I think... Yeah. Sorry? 66%. That's 66%. Wow. That's a lot. It's a lot of people. And then, you know, if we think about the, the one in three and we think about how many women give birth in Canada and how many in States and like, that's a lot of people um, where it just wasn't necessary. Like what happened, what took place, how they ended up feeling. It just all could have been prevented with something um, as simple as consent. Yeah. Like, yeah. So yeah, I feel very passionate about that area. I'll stop there because I can just like, I'm I'm very passionate about it too. We have a whole module in our push prep course about 
self-advocating. And it is my favorite class to teach because it is so difficult for us. And I'm going to say women primarily because we've been conditioned to respect authority, to be polite, to not be a bitch, to, you know, you know, not be a bad patient. And, and I tell my students, I'm like, listen, you're never going to see these people again. It's okay to be a bitch. Speak up for what it is that you want. You know, and it's, it's so hard a lot of the times too, depending on your personality, if you're a people pleasing personality, if you're, you know, you don't want to rock the boat and mm-hmm. like, maybe it would be interesting for you. Cause I know what I say all the time, but it, coming from you, it might have a different impact. So what are some ways you think that people could help advocate for themselves and, and help be in a situation where they're going to be surrounded by people who will validate them, respect them, offer yeah. an opportunity for consent. Mm-hmm. So here, I'm going to offer a little challenge to this one that might take you by surprise. And this comes from years of working in the sexual assault community, which is that I still want to argue it's not up to them, that the onus shouldn't be placed on the survivor to advocate, to figure this all out, but it actually needs to be on the providers themselves. So I agree that we need advocacy skills and I support people all the time in learning like assertiveness and how to build your voice. And I still want to put the majority of my energy into saying like the providers need to do this first so that the women don't have to find their voices around this. We shouldn't have to. I agree. It should be the norm. Like, why is this not the norm? It's just like, so that's like the narrative I want to challenge is like, let's view this differently. Even let's like put, put the blame and the responsibility and the pointing of the fingers to, to some other direction than the person. Cause it reminds me of sexual assault where it's like, well, just don't dress like this. Right. Bring your drink with you to the bathroom, carry keys in your hand. Da, 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 da. And it's like, but that's not stopping the behavior of the person who's offending. And so I view it the same way in birth trauma where it's just like, I, I still want to talk more about the responsibility of the provider. Amen. The reality <laughs> is though, is that, you know, it, they vary tremendously by where you live, by who you see, you know, you, you experienced a negative experience, you know, and probably took you by surprise. So, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, you still got to be prepared to advocate if you're in a situation that requires it. Right. Unfortunately. And I think that's where like really great uh, prenatal courses uh, should be talking about this piece in terms like helping them to build uh, their voices up, assertiveness, how to communicate in those moments, pulling in the partner again, or a doula, like somebody where there's a very common thing that takes place during birth trauma is that people lose their voice due to that fight, flight, freeze. So the most common response is actually freeze where the voice leaves you and you don't know what to do or say in that moment. And so that's why it would be really helpful for the partner to step in and the doula to say like, actually, no, this is what they wanted or this is what they need or they don't seem to be understanding that. Can you repeat it? Can you say it in a different way? And so that's where we can build an even stronger support system around them is getting other people involved. Mm-hmm. That is a powerful tip. I think a lot of people will resonate with that freeze and, and losing your voice is a big one. And we can't blame people for losing their voice because it's a neurological thing. It's like a defense mechanism, right? Yeah, absolutely. Nikki, I used to message Nikki and she'd like send me encouraging voice notes of how to like advocate to my hobby before I go in for my twin (laughs) ultrasound. (laughs) And and I also think it's helpful, like have someone you can then be accountable to report back, like how your appointment went, that's going to help you to advocate for yourself. Right. Cause if Nikki's like, well, did you ask them this? And then I went in my appointment, how did it go? And I'm like mute. She's going to be like, you were were a wimp. And it's crazy though, being in those situations, because I'm, I'm like a businesswoman. I make like hard decisions every day. I can, you know, do a lot of things, but put me in a room with an OB and all their outfit and, and and (laughs) instruments. And they're telling me stethoscope. (laughs) (laughs) Saying that one baby's bigger than the other. And if this was my first labor, laboring experience or delivery, I would be getting, you know, a C-section right away. I'd be like, yes, sir. You know, (laughs) it's, 
Mm-hmm. It's like my hands are tied kind of thing. And so, and that's me. And I'm, I am a very capable person and have being in a room with strong businessmen and standing up for myself, but literally <laughs> in those situations, I, I panic. So I think having someone that you could be almost maybe accountable to, I feel like that helped me. And in the situation when I was getting my epidural, I asked the question, could you start with it being a little less because I've never had an epidural. I don't know how I'm going to react to this. And then talk, we can top it up mm-hmm. versus giving mm-hmm. me the full dose at once, which is a recommendation from like my conversations with Nikki and then my midwife on how I could cope with getting an epidural for the first time because I had never had one. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's like that when you're having trouble advocating for yourself, being able to admit it, it doesn't make, it doesn't mean you're a weak person. I'm not a weak person. No, you are not. <laughs> right? Like, but but I do struggle with being in a room with an OB and standing up yeah. for myself and my babies. Which oh, is- so many people do. And I think even like demystifying that, mm-hmm. like those positions of power, right? And like recognizing that it is a, a human being in front of you too, even though they're in that outfit and have all those instruments. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, so that's part, that could be part of the plan too, around helping people to find their voice is to go, hey, that's still another human in front of you. And I know that looks scary. And like, they're, they're actually working for you, right? Yes. This is your body. This is Slow your clap. Heart experience. Slow clap. <laughs> <laughs> and print out the goddamn evidence sheets. Like print out the evidence. Someone yesterday was like, oh my, I'm told I have to have an enema. And I'm like, here's the evidence on the fact that that's actually not evidence-based. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like what, what are you being told? Like what, it takes 17 years on average for practice to catch up to evidence. So much mm-hmm. crap out there is not evidence-based. And I'm on, this is like where I get really mad. And so, you know, if you have a hard time finding your voice, just show them the evidence, print that shit out on PubMed mm-hmm. and show it to them on your appointment. I Preach, Nikki. Yeah. So clap for Nikki now. <laughs> it's all in our resources in the course. I'm like, here, it's a bit nerdy, but you right, know. go to a link, this link. All it is is Nikki sending links. You want the evidence? <laughs> yeah, I'm all about those links. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I hope this good. is helpful for listeners. It's great. It wasn't an asshole question. I'm glad to hear that. Okay, next question. <laughs> Um, (laughs) what about these expectations? And this is, you know, these expectations placed on pregnancy, birth prep, mothers, birth, postpartum, how does that factor into birth trauma? I think that's where it all starts. I do. Um, I think they're unrealistic, unattainable, and that they're harmful, uh, for anyone, never mind a birth trauma survivor, and that they really set people up to fail. And that I think that that's a big part of what people sit with after they've been through birth traumas, like this, this wasn't what I was told was going to happen, or this isn't what I expected. And, um, you know, this isn't what I saw a friend have, or, and that when we don't, when we don't have that similar experience, then we turn it inwards and we start to go, well, it must've been something I did wrong. I failed in some way. And so going back to that failure tape that often comes up for folks as well as like shame and guilt. um, Yeah. They just pointed inwards and it's so dangerous because those trauma symptoms, they eat that up and they grow and grow as a result. And so to me, those unrealistic expectations that are placed are actually like the foundation for birth trauma to exist. That's heavy. How do we fix that? I think by having conversations like this and more and more communities are popping up. And I think women are sick and tired (laughs) of of living under these ideals and we're challenging them and we're saying no more. And I think that the more we do that, I think we can see really great changes. And I think we're starting to. I notice it every day when I'm scrolling on Instagram or other pages of people just saying enough. Like I'm not I'm not subscribing to this version of motherhood or the role mom anymore. I'm just not doing it. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, any like I mean, I think we've covered a lot here. And it's been 
benefits. She's digesting. She's just digesting right now. I'm really digesting. I've been emotional. I've laughed. I've cried literally in this episode already. Um, But are there any final things that you'd like to share or that we didn't cover that you think is really important to mention to our listeners? I think that healing is possible. So I I do want to end. So not in a toxic positivity way in terms of let's be positive before we leave. But I just want the survivor that's sitting there listening to this, that's in the thick of it to know that there's a way out um, and that healing is super messy. It's not linear. So don't look at those moments of making mistakes or falling back into kind of old behaviors or thought patterns as a failure. It's actually just healing. That's how healing works. It's messy. It's all over the place. And um, yeah, just that it's possible. Reach out for help. There's so much help out there. Um, One of the biggest ways that I think people heal is through what's called common humanity. And that's what exists on Instagram and Facebook. And these pages is that sense of recognizing that we're not alone in it. And other people have gone through similar sufferings. And there's power in that uh, through that connection. So I think that's how we heal. You're amazing. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. And I'm so excited. Please, we're going to have to do a sequel when you finish your doctorate. I would love that. that. Yeah. And uh, maybe we'll do a sequel once that investigation is done. Oh, yes. Yes. And sending you all the good positive vibes. This will all come uh, out, you know, for you the way that you would like this to come through. So um, sending you lots of good vibes around that. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing. And uh, all of this is such amazing uh, information for people to have. So appreciate it. Where's the best place? Oh yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah. So um, my Instagram is called at the tea. So like the tea that you drink on birth trauma. So at the tea on birth trauma, you can also find me on my website, which is called the same thing, the tea on birth trauma. You can find me on psychology today um, as well. Those are like the main places. Amazing. Everyone check out Tila. Thank you so much. Thank you. you. Bye. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at WeGoTherePodcast and check out WeGoTherePodcast.com for more info.